Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Leeds Hospital Radio Sport Huddle. Um, it's special for many reasons, not only because, one, I'm here, but two, it's our sports review of the year 2022. And what an action-packed year it's been, although it's been very top-heavy with pretty much everything happening uh, from October onwards. Um, I am joined uh, this evening for this review of the year by Tony Chalk. Stuart Taylor and Bill Dale. So I'll say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Season's greetings. Season's greetings, one and all. And uh, we hope you have a great Christmas and a wonderful new year. 2023 is just around the corner. Um, We're going to do a review of the year. We're going to be looking at all kinds of things. Uh, Each one of us has got different topics to go through. So why not? Let's start at the beginning. Um, Tony, he's going to now chat through the Women's uh, Rugby Union World Cup, which was held uh, down under, Tony. Indeed, yes, it was uh, held in New Zealand, uh, which I suppose made the host side uh, one of the favourites to win the tournament. But many people's favourites, of course, were England going into that because they were ranked number one in the world. They'd hammered New Zealand in a couple of matches uh, over here last year, and they were on a 25-game unbeaten run going into that tournament. Uh, so they were very much fancied. But I suppose a bit like the, the Men's Rugby League World Cup uh, over here about the same time, realistically, there were only four sides ever likely to, to challenge for the trophy. The two I've mentioned uh, plus France and Canada. And in fact, those were the, the ones that ended up in the semi-finals. So there were three pools of four, top two from each pool, plus the two best third uh, place teams went through to the quarterfinals. And England did have France in their pool, which meant that they obviously had one game that was going to be competitive. They started off with an easy win, 14-try romp against Fiji, winning that 84 points to 19. Uh, and then they came up against France, who they'd uh, beaten in the final game of the Six Nations earlier in the year, uh, 24-12, over in France to clinch uh, a Grand Slam there. So, again, they would have started as favourites. But the French made a, a tough game of it. Um, it was, I think, 7 or 10 nil at half time, something like that. Uh, and then France got back into it with a, a try in the second half. Uh, to cut that deficit down. But England, in the end, a penalty from uh, Emily Scarrett about 10 minutes from the end, and they ran out winners by 13 points to seven. Scarrett, who in fact ended up as the highest points scorer uh, in the tournament, uh, was the one who got all the points for England that day. So through they went to the quarterfinals, uh, and all of those were pretty one-sided games. England played against Australia and beat them 41-5. Uh, France hammered Italy, New Zealand trounced Wales, and Canada, I suppose, had a a relatively close game compared with the others, beating the US 32-11. So we got the teams we expected in the semi-finals, and those were two real close games. Uh, Many people, I I think, thought England would uh, cruise through against Canada. That wasn't the case at all. Uh, They only led 15-12 at half-time, and in the end were pleased to come through 26 points to 19 to get through to the final. But New Zealand had it even closer against France because the the, uh, the French led 17-10 at half time. And although New Zealand had the better of the second half uh, and went into a 25-17 lead, uh, in the end, it ended up 25-24 because the French pulled a try back with about a quarter of an hour to go. But they just couldn't get uh, the decisive score after that. So it was an England-New Zealand final. Uh, just by the by, in the third, fourth place game, France won that very easily. I think Canada's efforts against England had taken their toll and the French ran out 36 nil winners there. So it was, uh, as I say, England, New Zealand in the final before a world record crowd for a women's rugby game of 42,000 plus at Eden Park in Auckland. England by now 30 games unbeaten. Could they get the 31st and keep that run going? Well, I'm afraid they got 31, but that was the number of points they got. And unfortunately, New Zealand got 34. Um, and really, the game turned on, on 18 minutes. England got off to a very good start. They led 14-0. Uh, and 18 minutes into the game, Lydia Thompson was sent off for a, a high tackle on Portia Woodman. It was one of those... that It was... Uh, 
obviously there was a blow to the head. Woodman had to go off, failed her head assessment, her head injury assessment, uh, and didn't come back. But it was uh, it wasn't a deliberate high tackle. It was one of these accidental ones. And just by the by, I would say if the same criteria had been applied in the Rugby League World Cup final, there is no doubt Australia would have finished that match with 11 men because two would have been sent off without doubt in that final. And <laughs> that didn't happen. But anyhow, that's by the by. Um, so that meant they had to play the rest of the game. So that was something over an hour with 14 players. Uh, and that really, in the end, I guess, was what told. Uh, the power of the English Mall was what brought them most of their success. A hat-trick of tries to Amy Cocaine, the hooker, and another one to Marley Packer. Uh, and the, the the other try, the fifth try, was actually the first one of the match that they got very early on by Ellie Kildun, uh, set up by Scarrett. Uh, but it wasn't enough. Uh, 26-19 lead to England at half-time. New Zealand gradually worked their way back into it and took the lead uh, about 10 minutes from the end. England had the chance to win a late penalty, which uh, if they'd kicked for goal would have tied the scores. They decided, not surprisingly, after scoring four tries from driving malls, to kick to the corner. Uh, but the inevitable happened, I suppose, has happened to the, the men's team in, in the World Cup against Wales, if people remember it a few years ago. They lost the line out. Um, the New Zealanders pinched the line out. Uh, secured possession, kicked it out of play, uh, and that was that. And the, the home side had won 34-31 in what was one of the most dramatic, uh, certainly the most dramatic, I would think, Women's World Cup final. Uh, it's sadly the fifth time that England had played New Zealand in a World Cup final, and they've lost every one. Uh, and in fact, they've played them six times in all in World Cups and lost all of those. So I'm afraid... Um, it's not uh, it's not to be. But the next World Cup is in England. And I've no doubt they will be very much targeting that and looking for revenge there. But not to be this year. Let's hope it might happen next time, Ian. Absolutely. Do you think the fact that the games being played? Yes, it was down under, but they were on ITV uh, on national television um, early in the morning. So people were waking up and watching the rugby. Um, do you think it would give women's rugby the boost that um, it, it needs? Oh, well, I hope so, yeah. Um, it, it was on just that little bit too early. I didn't see an awful lot of it for that reason, I'm afraid. I, I couldn't drag myself out of bed. Um, but I, I saw some of the highlights and things afterwards. Um, I, I would hope so, because the quality is, 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 uh, of the game is good. I mean, as we saw with the women's Euros, which we'll be obviously talking about later, mm. uh, the quality of, of, of women's sport now, women's team sport is so much higher than it was. You can apply that to cricket as well. Yeah. I mean, 30, 40 years ago, it would have just been regarded as some sort of sideshow, not worth looking at. But um, they've come along so much now that there is some some really good rugby played. And I'm sure when it does come over here in 2025, I think it is, um, that, that uh, there will be a lot of Good crowds, and I mean, if they could sell out Twickenham for the final and get eighty thousand, you know, that really would be a, an achievement. Um, the, the, the only downside, really, is that, uh, as I said at the, at the top of that piece, there were probably only four sides realistically that were ever going to compete for it, and and and, and you could even say that maybe only two that were going to be likely winners of it. Uh, although France, you know, France clearly only losing by a point in the semi-final. Um, could have had a shout. Canada, I think, exceeded themselves in some ways. Um, so it would be nice to see a few other uh, other nations coming through. And it particularly would be nice if some of the home nations did, because um, you know, not, it, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, none of them are particularly strong at the moment. So, you know, let's hope there's some development there in the years to come. Yeah, they've got four years to uh, to try and build and, and, and create a team that's worthy of challenging for that so thank you very much tony for that uh that's the women's rugby union world cup uh we're going to move um we're keeping the oval ball um but stuart is going to take us through the rugby league uh world cups plural wow <laughs> yeah well the rugby league world cups uh took place in england at the end of the super league season uh which was held over from last year actually due to covid um there's always room for improvement, but on the whole, it seemed like a successful tournament. It was truly inclusive uh, with disabled and able-bodied male and female competitions all being held together. And uh, that culminated in a joyous weekend in Manchester that gave us three world champions 
The England men's wheelchair team beat their arch rivals France in a raucous Manchester Central <laughs> Arena on the Friday night by 28 points to 24 with a late try. Uh, and then on the Saturday, the, both the Gillaroos and the Kangaroos uh, made it an Aussie double success at Old Trafford. Uh, the tournament produced some fantastic games of rugby league, and uh, yet there were quite a few blowout scores, and the top sides won easily on occasion without having to be at the best to beat the likes of Jamaica, Greece and Lebanon. But I think the special moments that the lesser sides were able to enjoy, like Jamaica scoring their, uh, their first ever World Cup try, will surely help the sport to grow going forward. But the best quality game, without doubt, was the uh, semi-final at Ellen Road between Australia and New Zealand, uh, reigning champions against the number one side in the world. And the game just didn't disappoint. It was a true end-to-end tie. I mean, I, I go as far to say that that was one of the best team sport competitive games of the, of the whole year, uh, which ended uh, on this occasion in a narrow 16-14 wins win for the Aussies but the quality on display was uh, was um w- was of the of of the top and uh, it was quite a captivating uh, spectacle for for those all those who were there and uh, also of course um uh, those who were watching it on TV for England meanwhile uh, i guess it's just like the round ball counterparts really it's the um it's the hope that sometimes kills you <laughs> Um, before the tournament they've been written off by some um, only for all that pessimism to change to optimism after their first group game when they absolutely thrashed Samoa who at that time were third favourites for the uh, for the tournament uh, by 60 points to six at St James's Park Um, England breezed through their uh, their group stages uh, they went on to blow away uh, Papua New Guinea in the quarterfinal. But unfortunately, the worst display uh, was in the semi-final against a much improved Samoa, I have to say. Uh, you know, who'd have thought it after beating them um, 60, 60 odd points to six in the first group game that Samoa yeah. would actually, uh, uh, actually come back and win this. But, that, but that's England for you, uh, whichever sport you're uh, supporting them in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, England lost that game by an absolutely gut-wrenching golden point in, in extra time. Um, and so it was really, it was left for Australia's men and women to lift the trophies after their respective finals. And so it's on to France 2025. I think one final thing I would say, being parochial, is that, um, we were, we were most fortunate, um, uh, here at, uh, at these hospital radio sports, uh, to be able to bring full match commentary, uh, of three games to our, um, uh, listeners in, across the Leeds hospitals. We're at the, uh, uh, the quarterfinal at the John Smiths for, um, for Australia, uh, against the Lebanon. Um, uh, our colleagues, Steve Fountain and Kane Hall were fortunate enough to be at Ellen Road for that rugby, for that semi-final between Australia and New Zealand. And even more fortunate, I guess, to be in the, uh, in the, um, commentary box at Old Trafford to cover the rugby league World Cup final. So that was, uh, that was a real thrill for us. But, um, uh, that's the rugby league World Cup for you. Thank you very much, Stuart. Um, again, with rugby league, it's such a, you, you use the word parochial that, and I think that's what it, that's what that sport has, isn't it? It's parochial. It's very, very local. Um, do you think given the exposure and the fact that the semi-final was played at the, um, the Arsenal, the Emirates stadium, uh, down in London, do you think that would help rugby league? Um, well, I think I'll sit on the fence on that one. Ian. I, I, yeah. I, I, time will tell. Um, you know, from a from a global perspective, um, you know, I think it was it was probably the wheelchair tournament actually that ignited interest in the, yes. in, in in the game. I have to say, and uh, certainly I think uh, in France, uh, because France are pretty good at it. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a a, a further uh, an extended uh, wheelchair tournament in 2025. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's parochial across, uh, across England, of course, uh, is the game and there have been various attempts to, um, uh, to establish teams, not in England, of course, but just, to, you know, across the, one thinks of Toronto Wolfpack, who, uh, uh, you know, sort of, um, 
sparkled and, and moved away. Catalans have got themselves established now in southern France, albeit with a, um, probably as many um, Antipodeans as there are native Frenchmen in the side, but they seem to have cemented their place in Super League. Um, but yeah, I, 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 my own personal view is that they should use that uh, parochialism to their advantage, I think, rather than sweating too much about uh, extending the, the, the game further and just focus on uh, you know, generating as much quality as they can from mm-hmm. that uh, uh, from that relatively uh, small uh, basket that, um, that they operate in. But, um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, the key. The key issue for everybody from a global perspective is uh, how can we knock the Aussies off the perch? That's the key thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and New Zealand almost, almost did it in that semi-final. Almost did it, but, but almost. close but no I totally agree with you. It was one of the best games of sport that I watched this year. It was absolutely gripping from minute one to minute 80. It was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that. Um, we're going to move on to another World Cup now. How many was there this year? Absolutely shed loads. Um, but we're going to Qatar. Hmm. Um, Bill, how was the football World Cup? How did that go? Well, it's interesting. When I started doing my uh, preparation this afternoon, I wasn't too sure, sure where to start. But I, uh, I, I put into four, four sections, uh, criticisms and observations, surprises, yes. England uh, and the final. Um, and you've got to remember that we go back to December 2010 when uh, um, Russia were awarded the 2018 World Cup and then Qatar 2022. So this has been around for a dozen years or so in the planning. Yep. Um, and I think at the time we were all surprised to see that it went to Russia uh, and not England and then utterly gobsmacked that it had gone to Qatar, who haven't been on the radar in the debate at all. Um, so... Um, my first observation is, and criticism is the timing. Um, it's not felt like a World Cup. Um, normally you have the football season, the playoffs, the FA Cup final, and then you go into this sort of four-week hiatus as to uh, uh, who's going to be fit. You know, is, is this metatarsal in an oxygen tent going to be repaired in time or, 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 or whatever? But it was literally, um, you know, the, the, the premiership stopped and a week later England were playing the World Cup and it did take a certain uh, element of adjustment as far as that was concerned. Um, and I've got to say, I personally didn't like it. I've talked to a lot of people who uh, um, uh, didn't really sort of quite get into it, but eventually did. Um, there was the human rights, you know, the LGBT uh, issue, which sort of felt a little bit uncomfortable. And I think in reality, um, FIFA needs to take a good hard look at itself um, and, and, and decide whether or not it wants to open it up itself up to these uh, situations uh, again in the future. Um, there's talk of the Saudis uh, applying for the uh, 2030 uh, World Cup. And, uh, um, you know, I think there's a lot of politics goes on behind the scenes uh, there. And that's before you get into the workers' rights and six and a half thousand people apparently losing their life, uh, migrant workers from Nepal and, 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 and Asia. Uh, and a, 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 an observation and talking point or something that probably should be mentioned is the um, the added time at the end of, uh, of games. There was an England match that I watched and I admittedly there were uh, reasons for it, but... Uh, um, the game had 25 minutes of added time, 15 minutes at the end of the first half and 10 minutes uh, at the end of the second. It's done, I'm told, uh, by a reliable source uh, based on an algorithm uh, by a, um, an Italian-based uh, sports data company. Um, but uh, that's something, again, that's uh, interesting going forward. Anyway, back to the World Cup and back to uh, the football, because eventually the football did get going and we sort of... Uh, Parked our concerns and irritations as the timing of the, uh, um, the, 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 the competition and were rewarded with some fantastic football and some incredible results and remarkable surprises. Um, the surprise package of the tournament was, uh, Morocco, um, yes. who, uh, drew with Croatia, um, who were runners up last time and uh, finished in third place this time. Along the way, they beat Belgium, uh, they beat Spain and they beat Portugal. 
and have some big scalps for a, yeah. uh, a team that just wasn't on anybody's radar before uh, a ball was kicked. Um, they're the first uh, African team to get to a semi-final, and congratulations to them on on on, on that before they were uh, uh, beaten by France. Um, and next time round, the World Cup expands when it's in uh, Canada, the USA, and Mexico to 48 teams. Um, and quite rightly, um, the continent of Africa has its allocation increased from, I think, five countries representing it to 13. Um, and, uh, you know, they, I, th- I think they, they deserve that. I'm sure Europe will get another three or four places, but uh, there was a massive imbalance, really, between the representation of uh, UEFA and, uh, and, and, and the Africans. Um, other notable results, um, and, and it's still, it, it feels remarkable to say, Saudi Arabia beating the winners, uh, Argentina 2-1, right at the outset, I think, uh, uh, excited everybody. Um, Australia getting out of their group um, and, and, and picking out uh, Dark Horses Denmark uh, along the way. Um, uh, there were quite a few people out there who thought uh, Denmark were probably not a bad bet for a, certainly a quarterfinal, if not a semi-final uh, spot. Um, Japan, um, that footballing uh, powerhouse of the East, uh, beating Spain and Germany. Um, Who would have thought of that beforehand? And just a sort of side comment, really, that uh, that's two World Cups now that Germany have gone out in the group stages. Um, and it's two World Cups since Italy have been there. So this balance of power shifting, um, you know, Morocco and uh, these these, um, these these sort of teams that are also runs in our uh, established thinking, um, and the powerhouses of Europe, Italy and uh, uh, Germany, uh, they both won it. Well, they both won it at least three times. I forget how many times Germany's won it now. Probably four. Four times each. Yeah. Four times each. Yeah. Um, four times the, each, yeah. The, the shift of power going on, um, and you, you look at the power of the leagues in uh, Italy and, uh, and Germany, and you just begin to wonder, um, you know, how they're going to get back there, uh, and then. Brazil. Um, I was looking at a, a poll on the BBC and uh, so-called experts, and more than half of them went for Brazil. Um, they lost to Cameroon um, in the group game, admittedly in a bit of a dead rubber, uh, and then went out on penalties to uh, to Croatia. So lots of surprises and lots of fantastic football along the way. Um, obviously, from our perspective, England. Um, you know, we had high hopes going in uh, semi-finals last time around in Russia, uh, getting to the final of the uh, of the Euros. Uh, and was this going to be the next progression? Um, well, they were good at times. Were England, uh, and, and I think they were perhaps unlucky. They they eased out of the group very very comfortably. A bit of a scrappy game against the USA, but uh, um, you know the the other the, against Wales and Iran, uh, it, it looked easy at times. Uh, the round of 16 against Senegal, likewise. Um, and they were coming up against France. Uh, and I, I, I think that was probably a 45-55 game in favour of France. I think most people probably thought France were probably the slightly better team, but only ever so slightly. Um, you know, you could play it um, seven or eight times and, 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 and it probably fall um, 50-50 uh, on that. And, um, you know, on the day, uh, I don't think you could say that France were the better team. Um, you know, we, um, Harry Kane blazed that uh, uh, penalty over the bar when he's usually so reliable from the spot. That's pressure, that's sport. Um, and uh, I think they, they could come home with their head held high. Um, the frustration, of course, was that uh, had they got past France, uh, Morocco were, were waiting for them. Um, and I think Morocco probably run their course. I think they thought they'd won their final. Um, and you could have seen England going on to the final uh, then. And who knows, in a, in a two-horse race, where that would have taken them. So there is that sense of a, a bit of missed opportunity uh, there. Um, England, they're, they're packed full of talent and, and, and young talent at that up front. Um just an observation, there is a frustration there that if Kane's not banging them in, and I know the goals were shared around, um, but uh, you know, I'm not sure who oh. the backup striker is um, to uh, um, to step in if there's an issue uh, there. Oh, who uh, is there? And then, uh, and then we're on to the final. Um, and, and what a final it was on, on Sunday. Um, fairly ordinary until about 75 minutes. Um, uh, Argentina uh, ran the show completely, 2-0 in front, very comfortable. Um, took off Angle de, de Maria on about 65 minutes, which uh, with hindsight was probably a bit of a mistake. I think if they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, um, they'd probably have got that third goal. Um, it just opened a chink of her door for uh, Mbappe 
um, firstly with a penalty and then with a magnificent, uh, magnificently taken uh, volley uh, to take it into half time. Sorry, into into extra time. Um, at the end of extra time, it was uh, um, the dreaded um, uh, three all. Uh, they scored a goal apiece, penalties, um, and uh, Argentina came out on top. And it was uh, a fitting end for uh, well, we think it's a fitting end uh, for a World Cup uh, career for uh, a certain Lionel Messi. Um, 35 years old, um, a tremendous player over the years. Um, we won't go into the debate of whether he's the best of all time. Um, uh, <laughs> that's perhaps for another day. We'll bring in Pele, Maradona, uh, Ronaldo, and uh, no doubt other candidates, George Best, perhaps. Um, but it was a, a, a great end. A, a lot of people are saying it was the best World Cup final ever. Um, not so sure about that, but it was uh, it was a tre- tremendous piece of entertainment. Um, and the last two words I've written down at the end of this is legitimate tournament. Uh, I think it, uh, it, it gained its credibility through the football um, after a bit of a dodgy start at the outset. Brilliant. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, it definitely did. I think going back to the England thing, I think um, I'm not going to be one of those fans who wants Southgate out because I think that would be totally the wrong thing. And Agreed. he has decided to stay mm. on as well, which I think is players as well but the game against France um, now I support a team that play in the National League and I have seen refereeing displays <laughs> that really are um, below woeful um, but the referee of that England-France game just I well literally lost for words Bill, about the performance of that referee, how he didn't actually give the Mason Mount penalty. Um, it actually took VAR to say, actually, you need to look at that. Um, and uh, the missing foul against Saka, which led to the French first goal. I'm not blaming the referee for the defeat, obviously, um, but he certainly played his part in it, didn't he? Uh, yeah, and you could add into that the uh, the foul on uh, Harry Kane on the edge of the box. I mean, the VAR reviewed it. It was yeah. outside. Box, but it was a foul, absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I was watching it down at my local uh, cricket club, um, and, and one of the guys there was going a little bit apoplectic. He was Brazilian, was the uh, uh, the referee, yeah. but he referees in France um, uh, in the French league, um, right. and was, was very familiar with the uh, the French. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not casting any uh, aspersions, but uh, no, but you are. <laughs> That's information I had no idea about. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So I'm told. So I'm told. Mm. Okay. Well, there we go, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, Brazilian referee. I'll, I'll just add one thing that uh, yeah. Bill referred to um, this algorithm that um, that determines the amount of additional minutes added on, uh, both at half time and full time. An algorithm that had been built. Um, by an Italian-based sports data company. Um, Bill did say that he had it on uh, uh, from a reliable source. Uh, well, um, the son of um, one of our panel members tonight works for that Italian-based uh, sports data co. And it's not my son, it's not your son, Ian, and it's not Tony's <laughs> son either. So, yeah, if you just put two and two together, you might get five. And it's I, a pretty I, reliable source, I reckon. <laughs> I, I think it was probably the same algorithm that Galvin Williamson used to work out the exam results. <laughs> <laughs> oh, political satire in uh, in the sports review of the year. You get everything in this sport huddle. And um, brilliant. Thanks a lot, Bill, for that. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to stay on the footballing theme, but our first local team review of the uh, year 2022, and that will be with Huddersfield Town. And what a year of two halves it really has been for the Terriers. The first half of this year was absolutely fantastic. It was, they were playing some absolutely wonderful football under Carlos Corberan. They uh, reached the playoffs. Uh, they were playing Luton Town, who surprised a lot of people themselves in getting to the playoffs. Um, it was very, very, very tight and uh, Huddersfield eventually won through and got to Wembley, where they played um, my, uh, my my nearest and dearest uh, local rivals in uh, Nottingham Forest. And, uh, well, 
the less said about Wembley and that final, the better. But yeah, unfortunately um, for Huddersfield and for me, um, Forrest won uh, 1-0 and um, Huddersfield denied a couple of penalties and um, were the better team on the day. But uh, uh, I don't want to come across as sour grapes. But um, yeah, Huddersfield should have won that one. And so then in the summer, Carlos Corberan leaves Huddersfield Town. He goes to... Olympiakos in Greece, funnily enough, owned by the same person who owns Nottingham Forest. Hmm. And then um, Huddersfield Town appoint uh, Danny Schofield as as manager. And uh, mm-hmm. that experiment quickly ends after he was sacked after 10 games, I think it was, um, where they were Huddersfield fans were looking for some experience and a, an old head to try and get them out of the the mire that they were in uh, at the bottom of the championship but uh, the uh, the Huddersfield board went a different way and appointed somebody else with no managerial experience in England in Mark Fotheringham um and yes he was the lease on loan um but he's um he's he's here tonight, Bernie Thornton, is actually thinking that he's doing an okay job. And if Bernie thinks he's doing all right, then that is all right for me. Um, But Huddersfield are still in that bottom um, bit of the championship. They are in a relegation battle. Um, And after the the high of the, the, the first half of 2022 and getting to the playoffs and getting to the playoff final, to see Huddersfield Town where they are right now, is really, really disappointing. And it just seems like all the hard work that was put in to last season has just been washed away. Um, and they are struggling uh, to stay up. They're struggling to score goals. Um, they're not conceding that many, but it's just, it's football, attritional football, I think you can call it at the moment. But as I say, if Bernie's happy with it at the moment, then that's that's all right with me. So um, we will be commentating on Huddersfield Town for the uh, rest of this season in 2023. And uh, hopefully it will be a season of survival of uh, just, you know, trying to get back to what Huddersfield Town should be. Um, but, yeah, that's Huddersfield Town in 2022. So. uh Anyone uh, got any comments on that? Was that all right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Yeah, uh, Bill and I were at um, the John Smith on Saturday, actually, uh, to uh, cover uh, Town's home game against uh, Watford. Uh, and I just came away from that thinking that uh, they've got a they've got a real tough uh, time ahead this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess to some extent it will. Uh, depend on whether they can bring any reinforcements in uh, during the transfer window. But, uh, you know, players are notoriously difficult to uh, tempt into a relegation battle and, and yeah. uh, you know, understandably so. But, uh, you know, they're, um, Danny Ward and Jordan Rose, the uh, the strike force, you know, it's it's three goals in the last 18 games uh, between them and, and none in the last eight. Um, and, and it wasn't... I mean, they. They started off on Saturday, I thought, you know, probably better side for the first 20 minutes. But uh, Watford, who, you know, were fielding a League of Nations, uh, a lot of the teams, um, uh, sorry, a lot of the players had come in from, uh, uh, come drop down from the Premier League with them on long term contracts. Um, and, uh, you know, their, their quality showed. And it wasn't really until um, until Watford had uh, secured the game with two goals from their young Brazilian that uh, uh, Town um, actually got a shot on target. And they might have scored in the last 10 minutes, but it would have been a consolation goal. And as I say, I, I came away from that thinking, mm. crikey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of three teams uh, who might replace Huddersfield in the bottom three come the end of the season. And I was struggling. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's going to be a really tough battle for the rest of the season, but hopefully Huddersfield will, mm. will, will get through it and we'll be there every step of the way, um, for the rest of the season. Uh, thanks for that, Stuart. Thanks guys. And, um, so we're going back to Tony. Um, thankful that Ocado have been and delivered, uh, Tony's, uh, Christmas food shop for, um, this Christmas, um, which we are very grateful for. And Tony's now going to take us through the T20 World Cup, 
um, which was um, who who won that again, Tony? <laughs> I think I first of all ought to point out that other supermarkets are available. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the, uh, the T20 World, yes, it had a happier outcome than the uh, Rugby Union Women's World Cup. Uh, England, of course, went into it as 50 over white ball uh, champions from that win at Lords in 2019, that dramatic win against uh, New Zealand. Um, and this World Cup came just 12 months after the last one, which was the delayed one from 2020 and, and was uh, uh, play, played last year um, instead. So it was a very short gap between them. Um, and uh, it started off uh, with a preliminary stage uh, with, I think it was uh, eight teams altogether, of which four would go through to what they call the Super 12s and join the automatically qualified teams. And out of that first round, the teams that got through were Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, Zimbabwe and Ireland. Uh, and the big one that missed out was the West Indies, of course. Uh, and Scotland would have felt slightly unhappy about that because they beat the West Indies in their first match, uh, but then lost to Zimbabwe subsequently. And it came down to Ireland playing the West Indies in their final match. And they beat the West Indies and, and got in that way. So they were through. And uh, in fact, Ireland... And Sri Lanka were the two of those that went into the uh, Group 1, which is the one that contained England, as well as Afghanistan, Australia and New Zealand. And England started off with uh, a match against Afghanistan, which some people saw as potential banana skin, but they got through it comfortably enough. Uh, great effort from Sam Curran, who took five for ten, Afghanistan limited to 112. England knocked them off not exactly with ease, but comfortably enough for five wickets uh, in just over 18 overs. Liam Livingston, 29 not out. And everything had got on to a, a good start. But then they moved on to Melbourne, and Melbourne was plagued with some weather problems. Uh, and it was in the match when they played Ireland. And Ireland batted first in that game, made a very good start, actually, got off to a, a racing start. Andrew Balburnie got 62. They eventually posted 157, and it wasn't until the spinners came on, uh, Adil Rashid and Liam Livingston, who ended up with three for 17, that England actually managed to tie them down a bit. But in the chase, uh, they got behind the Duckworth-Lewis rate, uh, and in the end, the rains came. England were 105 for five, and they were five runs behind the DLS score at that stage. They never got back on and uh, Ireland ended up winning. So England were then under pressure, knowing that their next match was against Australia at Melbourne. Um, and that was washed out. Uh, they didn't play at all. So both Australia and England were in a bit of a pickle by this stage because Australia had been hammered in the opening match, beaten by 89 runs by New Zealand. So both uh, Australia and England knew that pretty much they had to win their last two games and it could come down to net run rate because New Zealand were looking favourites to go through and they were England's next opponents. Uh, and England put up a, a, a strong performance there, batted first, uh, got a total of 179 for six. Joss Butler got 73 and it was too much for New Zealand despite a good knock from Glenn Phillips who got 62. Sam Curran again bowled well, two for 26 and England won by 20 runs. Uh, Australia, in the meantime, had beaten um, Ireland and in their final match, they were playing Afghanistan, but they only beat Afghanistan by four runs. So they didn't do anything to improve their net run rate, which was horrendous after that New Zealand result. So it came down to the fact that if England beat Sri Lanka by any margin at all, then they would go through. Uh, and they did, but it was a struggle. Uh, Sri Lanka set a total, fairly low total, 141 for eight. Uh, Mark Wood got three for 26. And that match actually saw Adil Rashid, who'd bowled very tidily previously, get his first wicket of the of the competition. He only took one, but he got one for 16 in his four overs, and that helped to really screw Sri Lanka down. Uh, and England got into a bit of a pickle chasing, a decent start. Alex Hales got 47. And in the end, it was left to, to Ben Stokes, who made a crucial 42 not out, to see them through with just a couple of balls to spare, 144 for six. So they were through to the semi-finals. Now, what happened in the other group? Um, well, Pakistan lost their first two matches to India and Zimbabwe. They just lost that by one run. And it looked like India and South Africa were going to coast through to the semi-finals. Um, but South Africa, after they actually beaten India, then lost to Pakistan and also lost to Netherlands in the final match. So it ended up with Pakistan going through 
and they played uh, New Zealand in the first of the semi-finals, which was, of course, a repeat of, of the two that had met in the 50-over semi-final uh, a few years ago over here. Uh, and Pakistan got through that one in the end, um, chased a total just over 153, uh, just over 150, rather, and knocked them off for three wickets. Uh, so they were through to the uh, final uh, uh, what of England playing India, who were probably the favourites at that stage, uh, and they, they made a pretty good start. Kohli uh, uh, got a half century, but the England then started to tie them down again. Again, Adil Rashid bowled very well, just one for 20 off his four overs. And in the end, they were grateful to Hardik Pandya, who thrashed it around at the end for 63, to set us a total of 168 for six, which most people thought, think thought was maybe a little bit short of par. And England absolutely blazed it. They knocked them off in 16 overs without losing a wicket. Hales got 86, Butler got 80, uh, and England were cruising into the final. Uh, and that was back at Melbourne, and there were some concerns about the weather, but thankfully <laughs> this time it did stay fine. Uh, and it was a thrilling final. Pakistan put into bat 137 for eight. Uh, Shan Massoud, Yorkshire supporters, they would be pleased to know he was in the runs. He got 38. Um, the two best bowlers, again, Sam Curran and Adil Rashid. Curran three for 12, Rashid two for 22. Sam Curran ended up as the man of the match and also the man of the tournament. Uh, he was outstanding. Uh, and England, a reasonable start. Then they stuttered uh, and eventually ended up with Ben Stokes again at the end, batting calmly, sensibly, 52 not out he got and saw them through to victory. There was a crucial partnership with Moeen Ali, who got 19 uh, of 13 balls, 48-run partnership for the fifth wicket, and that broke the back of it. Um, but the key moment, a lot of people would say, uh, happened in uh, the, I think, the 12th over, 13th over, uh, when Shaheen Shah Freedy took a catch at long off to dismiss Harry Brook, uh, made, made it 84 for four, but he injured his knee doing so. Uh, and it meant that when he came on to try and bowl, England needed 41 off the last five overs and he broke down after one ball. Uh, and that meant that Barbara Azam had to put on a, a, another bowler to finish that over. He put Iftikhar Ahmed on and his last five balls went for 13. The first two balls of the next over from Mohammed Wasim were both hit for four by Moeen Ali and that turned the tide and England got through to the victory. Uh, they had uh, an over to spare. They won by five wickets, uh, and it means that they are the first team to hold both white ball titles simultaneously, and they'll be defending their 50-over title, of course, next year. Next year, 2019, was four years ago, pretty much. How mad is that? Thanks a lot, Tony. Um, it was the second time that England had won the T20 World Cup. It was the first ever world trophy that England had won back in... 2010. 2010, there you go. And uh, I think it was Paul Collingwood who was the captain back then uh, with Kevin Peterson involved as well. And uh, yeah, uh, all the way 12 years ago. Wow, time flies. Um, before we go on to the local teams, which are the Rhinos, Leeds United and Yorkshire Cricket, we'll just mention a couple of the other world sporting events that took place in 2022 there was the women's euro 2022 tournament held in england it was all over the country crowds absolutely flocking to the games and england beating germany in the final which is always worth uh, celebrating and wembley held over 80,000 that day which was uh, i believe a record attendance for a women's um football match uh, or women's euros final and um, absolutely fantastic. Beth Mead won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year um, just uh, last, uh, just this midweek. Uh, absolutely fantastic and uh, brilliant. And it's it's given the girls and women's football just such a huge boost. Uh, games in the uh, WSL are being attended a lot higher than 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 it was before, and it's just absolutely fantastic. And to see England win. A footballing tournament. Um, we, we, you know, apparently we've not won since 1966. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while, but absolutely fantastic for the, for the girls. And, uh, it was a great scene when they beat Germany in the final. The other events were the Commonwealth Games held in Birmingham this summer. And, uh, what a great, uh, 
two weeks that was. It was fantastic and uh, some great sporting action uh, played in uh, all over Birmingham, Alexander Stadium, uh, Edgebaston. And um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And England um, finished just behind Australia, I think. I think it was um, in the medal table. But um, had had it been the uh, UK as a whole, then yeah, would have finished above Australia. So let's count that as as uh, <laughs> be winning the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, let's do that. And then we'll go to the Winter Olympics back in February. Um, Britain had a medal total uh, challenge of getting five to seven. Uh, they got two, I think, in the end, both of which were in curling. Uh, the men's team won the bronze medal. Um, and then Eve Muirhead, in her last uh, curling captaincy, uh, won the gold medal for the Britain's uh, women's team uh, and won gold for the first time since 2002. Um, when uh, the British girls won it. And uh, I'm going to say British girls, but actually it is Scotland. It is the Scottish girls that do and play the curling. And um, it's a great event. I love that. The Winter Olympics themselves were absolutely fantastic. Uh, great sporting uh, occasion. And uh, it'll be four more years for them next time. So 2026 is going to be as busy as, as 2022 has been. So um, enough of me. <sighs> Need a need a drink now. We're going to go back to Stuart, who is firstly going to take us through uh, the Leeds Rhinos season, uh, a season of um, vast improvement and a grand final. Stuart. Yeah, thanks, Ian. I think the best word to quickly summarise the Rhinos 2022 Super League season is undoubtedly roller coaster. <laughs> the uh, the 2021 season, the season previous, had ended with a playoff semi-final defeat, which in all probability exceeded expectations given the disruption that uh, the Rhinos had suffered uh, because of injuries and COVID absences. But the recruitment of uh, the, those two experienced halfbacks, uh, Aidan Caesar and Blake Austin, and a rich blend of youth and experience across the squad, meant that the 2022 season kicked off with, I think, a well-founded sense of optimism amongst Rhinos fans. And uh, certainly I was at uh, Headingley for um, uh, Rhinos first game of the season against Warrington. And uh, certainly before the game, everybody was talking about how well uh, Rhinos were going to do. But uh, James Bentley, uh, one of their other uh, recruits, was sent off after, I think it was about 10 minutes, and uh, it was downhill from there. So uh, all that optimism was really short lived and with just one win uh, in the first six games coach Richard Agar uh, who you'll remember had led the team to challenge cup glory in 2020 he stepped down from his position in late March and uh, Rhinos legend uh, Jamie Jones Buchanan nonetheless stepped in as interim coach but even his presence couldn't stop the slide uh, I think his first game in charge was a, a really a thumping challenge Cup defeat at home to Cast Tigers, uh, and after ten matches in all competitions, uh, the Rhinos had just one win and a draw, and, and facing a relegation battle, it was absolutely clear. So speculation was rife about who might be Agar's replacement, uh, but few would have come up with the name Rowan, Rowan Smith. Um, but to give Chief Executive Gary Hetherington his due, he conducted a comprehensive search across the coaching diaspora, uh, including spending quite some time at Australia, in Australia. Uh, he came back from Australia. People were expecting announcements straight away. It didn't come. So some were saying, well, what on earth was he doing in Australia for all that time? Um, but eventually uh, it became clear that Rowan Smith was his chosen candidate. Born in Australia, son of former Aussie player and coach Brian Smith, nephew of Tony Smith, both those Smiths uh, well-known characters in these parts, and Rowan Smith himself had played amateur rugby league as a as an with um, uh, Stanningley, uh, uh, close to where we are, alongside Jamie Jones Buchanan, actually, um, and they then went on to coach, amongst others, Bradford Bulls in the championship before they uh, went into liquidation. So he he knew the area, and once uh, Smith took charge. 
Uh, the Rhinos saw an immediate upturn in fortunes, winning four of their next five matches, to climb from 11th to 8th in the table, uh, allayed those relegation fears, and really playing with the freedom in attack that the fans had been anticipating uh, before the uh, season uh, kickoff, with all that talent, particularly in the, in the back line. The new focus on attack came together, uh, you might remember, in a stunning 62 points to 16 win at Hull FC. And uh, despite a loss at bottom club to lose in mid-July, no one saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> Smith's men then uh, put together a six-match winning run, including a 42-12 thrashing of Wigan at Headingley, uh, which saw them up to fifth in the table. Uh, they then lost at Catalans, uh, which meant that the Rhinos' playoff ambitions hinged on a final day, 80-minute shootout, uh, effectively, against local rivals Cass. Uh, and typically, it proved to be another roller coaster within the roller coaster, um, as uh, Cesar, say, Aiden Cesar, I should say, after Rhinos looked for probably 70 minutes at least, looked as though they were going to lose it. Uh, Cesar brought the house down by securing the, uh, the, the 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 try and the crucial win just as the clock ran down. So it was off to the playoffs and um, wins away at both Catalans and uh, Wigan. Um, with Rhinos just exhibiting that newfound resilience, saw, saw them claim an unlikely, I have to say, grand final place against St. Helens at Old Trafford. Um, unfortunately, that proved one step too far as uh, St. Helens ran out worthy withers, winners to secure an unprecedented fourth Super League title, um, thus etching the name in Super League history. And certainly, I think, uh, in the minds of uh, most uh, rugby league fans confirming the standard that everybody else really uh, ought to be aspiring to. Uh, the key men for the Rhinos were top try scorer and top meter maker Ash Handley. Um, Ash Handley um, had a fantastic season. The top tackler Mikolai Olejski and the ever reliable captain and top of the assist charts Cruz Leeming. I think what will encourage coach Rowan Smith is the continuing production line of young talent coming through the club, um, headed by Morgan Gannon. He's still only 18 uh, and already an established Super League player. And I think the, the 2023 season really just can't come soon enough for, for Rhinos fans. That's that's the on-field business done and dusted, Ian. But um, I, I want to finish by paying tribute to two warriors and legends of the game, uh, those former Rhinos teammates, uh, Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfield. And I think it's appropriate that we should do that. Rob Burrow, of course, diagnosed with motor neuron disease in 2019, just two years after retiring from his 17-year career, just dealt the worst of blows. But Rob himself has since campaigned selflessly and relentlessly to fundraise and raise awareness of the illness he's battling with. And just that, just this week, um, he was deservedly honoured with the Helen Rollison Award at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Awards. Uh, Kevin Sinfield, meanwhile, uh, received a special BBC award at the same ceremony. Uh, and that really is a, uh, a small token for, for what uh, Sinfield has, has, has done since his best mate, Rob, received his diagnosis. Do you know he's raised more than seven million quid? For, um, uh, for motor neuron disease and particularly for research around that, uh, that dreadful illness. And last month, only last month, he ran seven ultra marathons in seven days, covering 300 miles from Edinburgh to Manchester. And he actually completed the challenge at Old Trafford during half time in the Rugby League World Cup final. I got a fantastic ovation. Uh, and he, in the process, smashed his target of £777,777, seven, of course, being Rob Burrow's uh, shirt number. Uh, And I just think that this, you know, it transcends rugby league, really, this, Ian. Um, Two best mates. They've been totally inspirational, touched the hearts of many. And um, for me, that's my off-field sporting moment of the year. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Stuart. And I think we can all... All of us here can agree with that, and and Simfield and and Burrow are uh, uh, an inspiration to to everybody. And we lost um, Doddy Weir to that disease uh, earlier this year, and um, we just um, pray that some 
some research can come up with um, a cure um, for this absolutely awful, awful disease. So we'll turn to Leeds United. They started 2022 with Marcello Bielsa. They ended it with Jussie March. Um, what happened in between, Bill? Well, I'm going to be very quick because I'm looking at the clock and I'm mindful that uh, we have limited time. So it was a rapid rush through. Started with Bielsa. Struggled to recapture the spark of the previous season. Um, really no new meaningful signings. Furpo and James came in and they spent 50-odd million on them, but it didn't really work out. Um, and sadly, uh, Bielsa was sacked at the end of February after defeats. 3-0 to Everton, 4-2 to Manchester United, 6-0 to Liverpool, 4-0 to Spurs. Relegation that looked inevitable. Um, they brought in Jesse Marsh, who I think would have come in at the end of the season uh, anyway. Um, and, and Jesse got the, uh, the, the troops sort of uh, reinvigorated. It's the sort of uh, the bounce you get with a new manager. Um, kept them in touch with safety. Um, uh, there were some disappointing defeats, but there were some uh, great victories uh, 3-2 at Wolves, 2-1 uh, at home v uh, Norwich, 3-0 uh, away uh, versus Watford. There were some very exciting 90-second minute goals against uh, Norwich and uh, in a one-all draw at Brighton. What it meant was going into the last uh, game of the uh, season, it was out of their hands. They had to better the result that Burnley achieved. Um, Leeds went to Brentford, 1-2-1. Newcastle went to Turf Moor, they won 2-1. Burnley went down, Leeds stayed up. Um, close season, uh, sum it up very quickly. Phillips Rafinha out, about 100 million in. And then they bought a series of, uh, of players. Um, they actually spent 5 million less than they got in, according to the research I've done today. But Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Louis Sinistera, Willie Nonto, Rasmus Christensen, uh, Sonny Perkins, Darko Gayabe, Mark Rocker and Joel Robles, um, represented Probably not a bad swap, actually. Um, and uh, uh, But it was cost neutral, no new investment. Uh, there's still holes in the squad. Need a left back, need a striker. Uh, since then, good start to the season, followed by an awful run. Uh, and just as everyone thought that Jesse Marsh was going to be sacked, Leeds went to Anfield, 1-2-1. Uh, came back and played an incredible game to win 4-3 against Bournemouth. Had a very good 4-3 loss away to Spurs. That's where we are. Uh, emergence of uh, Crescencio, Somerville and Rodrigo as a goal scorer in, in uh, the absence of uh, Patrick Bamford's injury. Who knows where we go from here? It'll be an interesting January window, but please bring me a left back for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been saying that for two, three years now. Um, brilliant. Thanks a lot, Bill. Absolutely superb. And we'll be covering Leeds United um, for the rest of the, this season in 2023 as well. So. We've got you covered and we will do some away games as well. I'm sure uh, Bill is absolutely spot on. We do only have what looks like three minutes left. So um, quickly, the Yorkshire cricket season review pretty much sums up in one sentence and one word, really. Relegation. Uh, unfortunately, Yorkshire are going to be in Division 2 of the County Championship next year. But things off the field kind of took over. We are not going to go there. This is not the time nor the place. Um, that's for totally different people and places. But Yorkshire will be one of the favourites to bounce straight back into the first division this summer uh, with a new captain and, um, you know, new young players. Let's see what they can do. And with Harry Brook on absolute fire at the moment, which is fantastic. A local boy making good as well. Um Sporting moments of the year, uh, quickly, we've got, uh, let's go Tony first. Yeah, um, certainly, I just had on the Yorkshire thing, by the way, uh, they did get to T20 finals there, which was some positive last season, I guess. Um, yeah, mine, uh, golf, uh, the US Open last year, um, Matt Fitzpatrick from Sheffield won the tournament, uh, the key moment, really, 18th hole, he needed a four to close it out, really, or to put pressure on Will Zaratoris to get a birdie. He drove in the bunker, a bit like Sandy Lyle at uh, Augusta all those years ago, hit his bunker shot onto the green to, uh, what, about 10 feet or something. Zaratoris had a putt for a three, missed, and Fitzpatrick two putts to win it, and he did. Closed it out. Great victory. Fantastic. Bill? Uh, Jake Whiteman. <coughs> 1,500 metres, we were used to Sebco, Steve Ovett, Peter Elliott, 
Steve Cram running the Emsley Car Mile, commentated on by Ron Pickering back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, this is our first top quality middle distance runner that we've had since. Um, uh, Eugene, Oregon, the World Championships. He took the 1500 metres, commentated in the stadium by his dad. How wonderful is that? Absolutely fantastic. And Stuart? Yep, last Monday evening in Karachi, uh, Rayan Ahmed, 18 years old, test debutant for England. Um, Salman Aga, Pakistani batsman, um, swept him. Uh, Harry Brook, the aforementioned Harry Brook, took the catch. Rayan Ahmed uh, secured uh, his fifth wicket, youngest ever debutant to take uh, five wickets, and uh, just epitomised the whole McCullum-Stokes approach to test cricket. Rayan Ahmed, 18 years old, walked onto the pitch and certainly walked off it. Absolutely fearless and full of confidence. Test cricket for England next year. Can't wait for the Ashes series. Yes. What a great end of the year. Going to be fantastic. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Um, My sporting moment quickly was in October, a Tuesday night, Notts County won Wrexham nil. Almost 11,000 there in a game that is from the fifth division. Absolutely fantastic. And it was an honour and a privilege to be there, especially as my boys, Notts County, won. Thank you so much, Stuart, to Bill, to Tony, for your input tonight. This is the Leeds Hospital Radio Sport Huddle Review of the Year. Uh, We will be back in the new year and we hope you get well soon and get out of hospital ASAP. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year.